Joe. I'm Jake. I'm Gabby. I'm Marius. I'm Michelle. I'm Justin. And, and this, this is, is Comics Verse. Welcome to another episode of the Comics First Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Comics First CEO, Justin Alba. Today, Kathy is actually on vacation, uh, as she usually is in December. Again, as Marvel assistant editors do, they like to go away in December. Good for her. I don't really know why. Good for her, though. So I hope wherever Kathy is, it's um, she's getting some sun and hopefully some margaritas and doing some pirouettes, as Kathy does when she has a margarita or two. So anyway, to make this long story short, she won't be joining us today. But you know, actually, this is my first time ever doing a podcast without a co-host. Oh. Ever, I think. You know, no, ever, ever. I thought you were going to say this is the first time ever done without her. And I was like, oh. No, no, no. codependent. No, I, so no, I well, no, we are really codependent. But, but um, <laughs> when Gabby's here, I feel like she like fills the Kathy void a little bit. Oh. That's because we're the same person. Yeah. Exactly. And we've exactly. never seen them in the same room. So. No, it's, it's creepy. It's really creepy. So anyway, I just wanted to say, please uh, wish me luck. Mr. and Mrs. Audience as I flail through this podcast. But um, <laughs> I know I say this all the time when I'm hosting that it's like one of our like very special episodes, but I don't know. It really is to me because we're debuting a bunch of new podcast panelists and like a new kind of like group together. So before I get into introducing the cast, I should uh, thank everybody who has contributed to our growth in the past few months. So, you know, it wasn't like it was like a year ago. We had like 50 people to the site, 200 people. And uh, now we're getting over almost 150,000 which is like really great and our Tales of Mystery podcast got 30,000 listeners for that episode so we're super super thankful about that because I remember when there was like just 96 isn't that crazy I am speechless moving on up and uh yeah so exciting things are happening and uh we'll be working with double take comics soon as well as bald eagle comics which will make an announcement in this podcast later on and for those of you turning into the comics first podcast for the first time you can find us on the web at comicsverse.com on facebook at facebook.com slash comicsverse on twitter at, at comicsverse on tumblr at comicsverse.tumblr.com and on youtube at youtube.com slash comicsverse tv if you find yourself enjoying this or any one of our podcasts please 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 do not forget to leave us a comment because no one comments on our stuff you guys comment on like social media and other sites but we want comments like directly to us which some of you email but i want to see them publicly and um i read an article i feel like you're berating our audience oh i'm sorry i don't mean to berate you but i said that i should should ask but see that's why i have my gauge for beration Uh and beration my gauge for beration it was like it was aggressive encouragement okay Yeah. yeah i buy that yeah oh yeah okay comment we love you right but it's only out of love that beration mm-hmm. came yeah and i have to look up preparation as a word but i doubt it it's not. um <laughs> it's i didn't think so i didn't think so so but yeah please feel free to email us or follow us on any of the above social medias we will always always get back to you and uh we'll be debuting our new youtube video soon so be sure to check those out and yeah no they're really really cool our new video so we've definitely taken a step up in our production and production value and editing value of course so uh this podcast is a it's actually like a character study of x-men storm but i wanted to focus specifically on her being the most recognizable black superhero and i think it's important to note that i didn't say black female superhero or black superhero in comics that she's so popular and recognizable she breaks all kinds of glass ceilings and tops many best character lists across the internet and should be told i've been dying to do a podcast on storm since our series on Jean gray back in 2012 and 2013 actually which was way back in the day some of our first podcasts and uh i think i finally found the perfect cast to do with i must say and um so yeah that's awesome anyway first up some of you may know her as bird others may know her as dr beans but we know her as dr gabrielle 
Gabby Bird Beans. Uh, welcome back, Gabby, to another podcast. Thank you, Justin. Um, are you getting back into the, uh, the swing of things? And so this is your second podcast after returning from London, correct? It is. I don't know how to respond, though, because my responses aren't written in the script. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm, I'm really, I'm really, you know, I'm back. I'm in effect. You're back in effect. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready right to discuss Storm. Storm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she came back with New Mutants and now she's, she's doing the Claremont thing with Storm. Exactly. And um, I should also mention that what a great friend Gabby is because she's a really big image fan, but she does the X-Men podcast because I always need help on them. Isn't that amazing? It is. I love X-Men. That's 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 really great. Is um, are are you being serious? Yeah. Good. Wow. Yeah. Every that was a really judgy silence. I know. I just spoke from my heart, and everyone looked at me as if I had like a <laughs> arm growing out of my forehead. I was just really well, impressed you by also, enth- your enthusiasm. Yeah. Thanks. No. And also, Joe, it's because you wrote on your uh, not Joe. Uh, see, now you're sitting in the wrong place, and I'm getting confused. It's also because Gabby, you wrote in your questionnaire on our website under the Meet the Team page that your least favorite comic book ever was X Men: Rise and Fall of the Empire. Wow. So what is the truth? So I guess I'm just experiencing some dissonance between what I read and what I'm hearing right now. You have openly admitted that Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire is not really the best introduction to the X-Men Not canon. the best introduction, but a good comic, right, Marius? Have you ever uh, read it? I, it was pretty good, I guess. Right. It will go, it will, we're never not, we don't even know who that was talking about. You know, it's okay. Gabby can have complicated feelings about X-Men. No, Gabby, exactly. yeah. I mean, no, I actually, but in all seriousness, I really like enjoyed reading what we're going to discuss later. And I really like X-Men. So it's cool to be on these podcasts. So I'm psyched. Awesome. Very cool. Oh, Joe, I called you a real life superhero in the script. Oh, my God. That is is a lot. um, There's so many people here who I want to be like when I grow up. I'm sorry I keep knocking into you. You know, uh, at least to me and many others who know you. You know know what my super like superhero power is? Getting shit done and getting people to give a shit about it. No, I was going to say I just have really healthy teeth. Oh, can I see? Oh my God, she does have when really I When teeth. I got my wisdom teeth pulled out, I what? had like no adverse effects from the surgery. And wow. everyone was like shocked. Someone was like, are you sure you don't need me to take you home? And I'm like, no, I'll just like take the subway. I'm good. Wow. Mm-hmm. You I weren't like one. David after dentist, like loopy? Nope. Wow. That, I told you it's a superpower. Yeah, no, I'm... It's a very pre- useful one. That is a good superpower. It's a really, yeah. You only get one cool. set of teeth, so... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean two, <laughs> but like one set of adult teeth. <laughs> right. <laughs> No, that's that's actually not true. You're right, because there is two. But that was interesting to... Uh, uh, well, fun fact. Fun yeah. fact about Joe. And joining actually me for the first time on a podcast is Jake. Don't read about yourself before I introduce you. You're... Who am I? Who, who, Jake, who are you? Who are you really is the question. But anyway, Jake is, for those of you who don't know, let me answer that question. For those of you who were led to the question by me merely by saying it, let me Whoa. let me satisfy the curiosity um, that has Arisen. just arose yeah, within your self. Psyche. Psyche. Thank you, Joe. You're welcome. Um, and who is he? He is a... Oh, he's like... Oh, you're, dude, you're very much like Daredevil because you're going to law school at Columbia and you're very much like Barack mm-hmm. Obama because you go to Columbia and because like you're like the editor of some big Columbia like law school thing, even though he didn't go to Columbia Law School. That's all right, though. Yeah. So basically, you're like Barack Obama and Daredevil is what I'm trying to say. Well, you know who Pretty we've also never seen in the same room? is Barack Obama and Daredevil. Oh my God. They're totally the same. Or Jake has never been in the room with Daredevil or Barack Obama. Have you? Mm. <laughs> oh. uh, I actually have been in a room with Barack Obama. So he can't uh, be Daredevil. Daredevil. No, he can't be Daredevil. But Barack Obama Darn could be Daredevil. I was going to say, Barack Obama. I, if, if Barack Obama was a superhero, he would definitely be Daredevil. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you think? Or if yes. Barack Obama was a superhero, he'd be Jake Grubman. Oh! Oh, oh shit. That is so... <laughs> True, actually. And 
Yeah, anyway, we were very lucky to have you aboard. Are you excited to be talking about X-Men Storm after doing uh, Deadly Class, which is going to come out next week for the people listening? Yeah, I mean, I'm actually kind of, I think, in a similar uh, position as Gabby. I'm mostly mostly an image guy, I would say, but most significantly not huge into Marvel and DC historically, but uh, these were some really fun comics that they were and um i was going to introduce michelle but she has oh she's here here um uh, she's just getting up. a beverage oh yeah so oh okay. yes which is very hey i'm so for that <laughs> so it will be a new year as people are listening to this and it is time for something new and like when you get married you need something old and something new so something old i got was my old friendship with my friend michelle who i know Aww. is a fathom fan and uh, you know Again, you are a uh, Princeton University graduate with your master's in producing from USC Film School. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. The Peter Stark program. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. And now you're an amazing marketing guru, Ms. Michelle Baxter. Oh, thank uh, you. Yeah, and, and the title thank you. of- Happy to be here. Oh, we're so excited My to very first podcast ever. Oh my gosh. Yes. And um, yeah, and you have a lot to say about Storm, I'm sure, too. Oh, yes. yes I, yeah. I love her. As, as, we, as we all do, yeah. <laughs> and Michelle, you know, I go way, way back. We were actually, we did we say the year? We said the year before. I think we did. We did. Yeah, um, we, it was uh, four years after the year of my birth. It was four years after. Thank you, Jim. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Shit. That's, that's outrageous. That's outrageous. It is outrageous. We were pioneers yeah. in so many ways, Michelle. I know. It's so true. You're uh, my best. You're, he, really, Justin, I, I, I love. He's he's my, my, my dearest friend. One of my dearest aw, friends, honestly. Oh, so thank very you. happy Justin's to be the here. Best. Oh, thank <laughs> you, Michelle. That's so nice of you. <laughs> and see, now now our audience can bask in our love, which is so amazing. So I'm so excited about that. And I hope our audience is too. And you're frozen, Michelle. <laughs> okay, good. I heard you laugh, which is good. Because I, I was like, am I freaking her out or is she frozen on purpose? <laughs> I know. There's a, little bit of a, there's a little bit of a lag. No, uh, no, there's a tiny bit of a lag, but it's, it's, it's gone now. So we'll just. Oh, awesome. Okay, cool. Okay. And, you know, speaking of 1997 or 1998, Michelle, which we didn't actually say, but which was around the year we met, I think someone named Marius Dienenkampf was probably born around that year. Is that correct, Marius? 98. <laughs> 98? <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Marius, I mean, Michelle, when we met, Marius oh was gosh. like a sperm and a zygote. Oh my <laughs> he was a zygote. <laughs> Like, you know, Maris, that you is were, amazing. You were swimming around someone's wow. testicles. The miracle of life. Yeah. yeah. That is the, it's the circle. The right. circle of oh life. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You're like Simba. I actually have, I, sorry, Michelle, what were you going to say? I was going to say he's like Simba. No, I, we're like the parents in The Lion King. <laughs> I don't know what that means though. What were we going to say? Sorry. No, no. I just had this thought. I was looking at your note and I had this thought that, oh my gosh, when you and I met, Mm-hmm. It was considered absolutely the height of, of scandal to meet people online. Yes. It was something that you just didn't do. It's so true. It's so do you true. remember that? That was I, like absolutely. And that was I, something weird weird people did. Uh, it's so true. And it was Sorry. something very weird people did. And we met on AOL instant message. No, not AOL instant message. AOL the program on dial up. Yeah. How about we put yeah. that? Wow, you guys were just a bunch <laughs> it was, of freaks. Uh, it was a chat room. No, it wasn't a chat room. Michelle, you like messaged yeah. me. I was like, oh, it was a chat room. No, I thought you like you messaged me from like. It was a chat room. Okay, yeah. Went off to our little like thing, and we were like, oh my god, we're really vibing off of each other. Let's just take this chance and do this crazy thing. And we've been friends ever since. It's so yeah. true. And we met like a, our first online date. Yeah, I know it's so true. And then we, when we um, first hung out, I got into a car accident and then went to the Chinese restaurant and ate with her. Like nothing happened. <laughs> do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right i was just like no big deal <laughs> just got my car crashed um yes anyway, i do i remember that sesame chicken or general sauce was yes. the question at hand yeah. and um anyway we opted for the sesame chicken and here we are 55 years that's later. an awesome story <laughs> uh thank you yeah no i thought you'd think so um but yeah anyway but, but yeah oh yeah it's for those of you 
So yeah, I, I I see what I wrote down here about getting catfish and all these catfish around and like look what we when we did it, you know you didn't know that like you were saying it was it was it was risky business. Yes, it really was. I I remember that for a period of time people oh. guys meet and we were we were embarrassed back then. I remember we were, to yeah. tell people we met online because it was so scandalous. No, it was very scandalous. It was it was not a very cool thing to do at all. And I you know, I also wanted to mention like no. Storm herself, you are African born in London School. Is that correct? That is correct. I don't know why I'm saying that as if I don't know. We've also never seen her with Storm in the same room, so... Oh, my God, Michelle, you're totally Storm. (laughs) I'm totally Storm. I I do love her. I identify with her in many ways. But Marius, it's Marius time again, and you you are again joining us from Germany. Right. And you are now a Comics First podcast veteran, I would say. Yeah, it's like my, I think it's my fifth recording or my sixth recording. Right. So Yeah, no, that's really amazing. And you're like one of our X-Men stars because I think you and I are the big X-Men fans in, uh, at Comics First, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I'm like a huge X-Men enthu- enthusiast and that's why I'm really excited doing the podcast today. Even though Storm was like not always my favorite X-Men character, right. uh, delving a bit deeper into the character, uh, I kind of found out really interesting. So... Yeah, really cool. looking forward. Um, Joe, did I introduce you? I didn't. Um, no, I didn't. Fully. Okay, awesome. So, no, I did, right? I said you were yeah, a real yeah, 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 But did. what I want to talk about, Joe, I wanted to add to what Joe's saying that she wrote a really awesome, monstrous article for Comics First, and uh, you can check it out on comicsfirst.com. And Marjorie Liu is also a very much a fan of that analysis. And I have to say, it was amazing. I had a lot of feelings. It was beautiful. It was really, I mean, it was very moving. So uh, if you're a monstrous fan, if you're an image fan, please do check out that analysis so okay so are we ready to talk storm oh so ready yeah let's do it let's do it all right so we meet storm as oh marius right all right so as i said before early on the podcast i want to talk about that i was really excited to talk about storm for a super long time because i think she's such an important character in comics i think she's such an important x-men character and you know it's been since the days of jean gray that we wanted to uh talk about her so marius will you give people who aren't as familiar with storm as intense x-men fans are a little bit of background on her character yeah i'd love to justin so uh today we'll be taking a closer look at the character of storm also known as aurora monroe uh, she's a, a female superhero a person of color and uh, also an omega level mutant superhero so she's extremely powerful and uh, her mutant ability is to control the weather or to manipulate the weather uh, through Earth's electromagnetic field. Uh, Aurora was born in Manhattan and her parents decided to move to Cairo when she was uh, six months old. And at the age of six, she lost both her parents, but was found by a gang uh, in the streets of Cairo and learned the arts of uh, weavery. And she became a master weave in Cairo as uh, a little child. So basically, years later, Later, she decided that it would be uh, the right thing for her to do to leave Cairo and wander southwards, basically through the Sahara Desert for years. And after that, she finally reached the Kilimanjaro Valley, where basically uh, she was being worshipped for her mutant powers by the local tribes who uh, considered her uh, like kind of a goddess. And uh, years later, as an adult woman, she was recruited by Charles Xavier to join the X-Men as he put together an all-new, all-different team of X-Men for a rescue mission on uh, the island of uh, Krakoa. And later, she also became the leader after Cyclops left the X-Men. So uh, on different uh, occasions, she's uh, always been 
leading different uh, incarnations of X-Men teams. And she's one of the most important leaders of the X-Men. And she was also once married to Black Panther, who will be having his uh, first appearance on the big screen soon uh, in Captain America Free Civil War. And she had met him as a child traveling through the Sahara Desert as an adolescent more like that. Uh, so she became the queen of Wakanda, which is uh, a highly developed uh, African state. However, currently Storm is leading the extraordinary X-Men team. And yeah, as I said earlier, her pose include all kinds of weather manipulation, but she's also a master thief and an expert at combat. Awesome. Were you done, Marius? Yeah, I'm done. That was awesome. That was You're such a good X-Men summarizer. Thank you. You're very welcome. I remember from um, the days in our infamous, now infamous podcast that was Grant Morrison's X-Men run. Oh, that, that podcast was, that was one hell of a podcast. No, that definitely was. <laughs> and thank God for editing. Let's just say that. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I wanted to ask everybody. So we only first meet uh, Storm as a Roman row. She is worshipped as a goddess in Kenya. And it isn't long before we discover more about her history. So after the death of her parents, which we'll talk about more in a minute, she becomes a pickpocket and a beggar. And uh, she's referred to in pages of, or, or as she's referred to in pages of Uncanny X-Men, Eventually, she, as Maria said, she wanders south to Kenya. And in terms of characterization, how well does her history come together to form the three-dimensional person, if you feel she's represented three-dimensionally, which we'll get into later, how well does her past as a pickpocket, as someone who suffered a trauma, the loss of her parents, as we find out way later, she's a princess, and as someone worshipped as a goddess, do those things come together? Gabby. I thought in relation to other X-Men origin stories. And I know it's not uh, really directly related, but because New Mutants is still fresh in my mind from the podcast that we did recently, where most X-Men or mutant origin stories, I think, have a foundational trauma that cause their, you know, the respective characters to have a really fraught relationship with their mutant abilities. I feel that Storm is kind of unique in that she finds a community that really values her and looks up to her as a goddess because of her abilities. And I think that that really shapes how she functions as a leader and how she functions really uniquely as an X-Men because she at no point in my recollection does she see her powers as she's not one of the x-men that says oh man i wish i didn't have my powers i wish i could just live a normal life her struggle is not giving in to the narrative about herself that she is more than human you know and so and i think that is really super interesting i'm not sure what my opinion is in terms of her three-dimensionality but i certainly think that that's a really fun narrative to contemplate as a reader awesome marius uh, yeah, right. Uh, Gabby, that's a really interesting point because uh, I think that uh, the trauma she suffered, uh, I think we're going to talk about like the after effects of that later on during the podcast. However, I think that the way she pretends to be a goddess is kind of uh, her way to escape like the very human problems she's facing. And uh, it's kind of her way of dealing with that and in a very recent issue of the uh, all-female x-men book we actually find out how she loves controlling the weather because she wishes that she could control her regular human life in a similar way she so she's i would uh, totally agree that uh, she's actually one of the x-men characters to which or one of the few x-men characters to which her powers are 
not a burden, but rather something uh, they find enjoyment in. Because like she escapes into that illusion of being a goddess, which is obviously just an illusion because she has to face her uh, real life human problems as well. It's interesting they bring up trauma because trauma is so central to a lot of superhero origin stories. What's interesting about the way Storm's trauma manifests is that It manifests itself as this claustrophobia, mm-hmm. right? That's discussed uh, fairly often, which is separate from her her identity, her occupation as a superhero. Right. Right. And separate from her identity as a mutant. As a mutant. Mm-hmm. And most superheroes' trauma, it manifests themselves as this kind of deep angst about their powers, about their role as someone who's supposed to like help save the world or do good. And hers is a very tangible, very visceral kind of trauma that she can't control. And it's just about her as a person. So that's very interesting to me. And it's also interesting to me that when it first, when we first really see it, uh, it's when Jean, Jean Grey, sort of, uh, you know, psychically realizes her history, mm-hmm. which is a huge invasion uh, of her privacy and her history as well. So Storm's reaction was was portrayed as over the top, you know, I, which I felt was inconsistent a bit disrespectful to the way trauma can manifest in people's lives, right? I wasn't a huge fan of the way they handled that. But I think it is definitely very telling that this character does have this ability to have this sort of narrative that we don't get to see very often with superheroes. No, I think that's very cool. very human. Yeah, and and, uh, you brought up an interesting point that I think Marius will agree with, and I think most X-Men fans will agree with that. And I thought about saying that and how I was going to say that, but I actually forgot what the point is within your point that most X-Men fans would agree with. That's right. If it's important, it'll come back to you. It was so important, too. You know what I'm talking about, Mary? She, like, she said something that touched upon like a bigger mm-hmm. X-Men no. issue. I, well, she I was don't. talking about... Oh, oh, sorry. What? what go that? ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was going to fill her, so go. I th- I mean, it could have been about how lots of superheroes share a certain uh, dynamic in their origin stories. How trauma is almost a universal feature in those stories. That's I don't true. know if that's what you were thinking. No, but it, it, it was something like it was something like storm specific and X Men specific. Oh well, it doesn't matter. Well, is it uh, the maybe idea of something tra- about like the original narrative, like about her origin story, how that uh, differentiates from like other X Men origin stories about that? No, forget it. Don't is it the that. idea of like trauma as a trope? No, it was okay. none of these things. Um, it was like <laughs> it was much more nerdier than any of these things. But anyway, um, Jake, would you like to answer? Yeah, I mean, I thought that uh, Storm's origin story was, <laughs> I thought it was ambitious. Mm-hmm. It was an interesting story, and the fact that it was attached to a, a specific political event, I also thought was ambitious about uh, this story. I mean, that's the case with, I think, probably several other characters in this universe. I'm not sure how effective this particular instance was. Uh, the fact that it was tied to the Suez crisis, to me, I think, is lost on readers now, and probably many of the readers of this book, when it first came out, might not have been aware of this episode, but I did think it was at least ambitious. One thing that I'm, I wish the story developed more was how Storm became this goddess figure in her community. She clearly recognized the, the power that she had, but when did she decide that she was going to actually 
fill that role and act as a goddess uh, for the people in her community. It was also very hand wavy. It was very much like she, you know, goes on these travels and she encounters these people and she decides to be their goddess. And then she forgets all about her trauma. Right. And has no recollection of her history until later. It's like Xavier says, she was sort of living in a fantasy there. And that's why he was saying, come back to reality in that, in that first issue. And I wonder if that uh, speaks to that a little bit. But I really like, I think Jake brings up a really interesting point in so far as what was the process of you know her powers manifesting in such a way that this community of people looked up to her as a goddess and what was the moment in which she decided to take on that role or even perhaps more interestingly decided that you know maybe maybe i am a goddess like Mm -hmm. you know like that's a really interesting dynamic of to what extent is it a fantasy that she's playing out knowingly and what extent is it her saying well you know what i have these powers these other people don't maybe i am some sort of divine being and it's something that's very sort of uh, sort of superficially glossed over in the way that you know an origin like you know almost like a montage as opposed to an actual analysis of this person's you know the path to them becoming who they are and i think that would have been like yeah no i when you bring that up i would have loved to see that and who are these people really like who are these people that she is a goddess to like what is their life like and how you know it's it's so it would have been really interesting there's a story there waiting to be told oh totally i mean in terms of three-dimensionality i think the whole point is that we want to know more about this character and the way she develops but we have to understand, like we look into, we, we try to read into this. The comic book writers then did not give us any of that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that they were thinking about it. Right. You know, I think we can't give them that much credit for creating a character that intrigues us so much when it's because there isn't enough for us to, to hold on to. I think it's definitely an issue with the writing. Mm-hmm. I think they did it because they thought it would be cool, not because they had deeper things to oh, say. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Michelle, right. how about you? Do you have any... Uh any things to add about Storm? No, I've, I've been, I've been, I've been listening to the conversation, and I, and I think you know to tack on to this idea of relatability and how how we feel about Storm and her her, her origin and, and and the three dimensionality of her is that well she's she's so and, and and it's interesting because I I I'm looking at it from my perspective right so I remember being attracted to Storm growing up in Ethiopia and there were aspects of her that I was attracted to in terms of her uh, you know growing up in Cairo which was a city I knew and and that that was exciting to see that name in 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 the comics you know seeing her you know her origin story go through the Sahara and all these different things but it doesn't really but she's so larger than life right that there really isn't anything i don't know it's really hard to sort of tap sort of relate to her on the on the other side of that i'm just sort of thinking out loud a little bit oh I no no that's fine sorry your, your video stopped again very perfect oh, you know totally. almost yeah. very pristine right it's like she only operates in the realm okay. of the I'm sorry. epic did you get any of that yeah oh, we, we got all of that yeah the lag is back though i think the, the problem is the lag comes when your video's on Storm isn't allowed to be grounded in many ways as a character. You know, we have all of these superheroes that we understand, like the struggles they go through as human beings. And here she comes. The first thing we know about her is that she used to be a goddess to these people. So she isn't allowed to be grounded. And I feel like she's very much exotified. You know, she's this goddess of these African people. Like, what does that mean? Where does that come from? What is what is the implication of that? And I think it's just because the comic writers wanted something exciting. Well, I mean, I agree with you to a point. Joe. Yes. Because (laughs) I think on the one hand, it depends on your definition of groundedness, because in some ways I feel like she's preternaturally grounded insofar as she's so principled. Mm -hmm. She's so self-aware. She's so cognizant of the effects of her actions at every any given time, except for the one point where she loses control. And, you know, she's like, I am the storm and whatnot. 
Yeah. No, I was just, I was, that's, I completely agree with that in terms of her. Well, I I was reading this article and there was something that struck me. I don't know if you guys resonated in the same way. In in thinking about this and preparing for a podcast, I remembered a conversation I had with a professor of mine a while ago where he talked about this concept of the benevolent Negro and something that Spike Lee brought up again, you know, as the magical super duper Negro, right? And it was this idea that, you know, throughout literature, vis-a-vis, you know, the representation of these really larger than life, you know, magical, brilliant, benevolent, kind, wise, almost almost perfect, preternatural, right? African-American, Native American, you know, um, peoples. And these peoples who are somehow, somehow almost magically connected to nature in a way that we us Westerners are not right, right, and so so when I as when I think about this as as, a, as someone who's from quote unquote Africa, I ask myself, well, what who are these African people? I also ask, where in Africa? What well, you know, what what's the relationship there? So I don't know, just bringing that up because those were some of the not the, the thoughts that flowed to my head immediately, at least upon reading it, in terms of being an adult now and and looking at her, and and one of the reasons why we have problems, well, not necessarily problems relating to her, but why we relate to her in the way that we, as this goddess, you know, perfect creature. Right. Yeah. I agree with you, and I think you know, in thinking about her as a character, I can't think of many of her flaws you know what i mean like she does have the problem with you know her interaction with her own goddess myth but other than that i don't really there aren't really very palpable character flaws like she's not proud like she's she's proud insofar as she invests in this myth that is also as marius was talking about like kind of a defense mechanism but she's not you know she's just kind of this amazing like you said sort of this otherworldly benevolent negro magical negro figure almost but at the same time on a she really is yeah well I do think that uh, the character is flawed in a way that she has, uh, well, on the one hand, just to get that clear, she I definitely think that uh, she's one of the few perfect leaders for the X-Men. But on the other hand, I think that there's really some kind of conflict going on within her when it comes to leadership, because... On the one hand, it means basically sacrificing some of uh, like the moral principles she wanted to uh, stick with basically when she joined the X-Men or when she came to the Western world. And uh, I think that it was actually easier for her to be like a goddess than to be a leader because she uh, would be able to uh, be like that perfect being that can fulfill everyone's wishes and she can kind of uh, feel less human but uh, as a leader she will have to do like many questionable choices as she does in like her current uh, character arc in the Extraordinary X-Men comics. So uh, I think that the character is not just this perfect, wonderful, kind of magical woman, I don't know. Uh, She's actually pretty... I think she really struggles with herself when it comes to leadership, even though she's a great leader. But I think... And I think you're right. And I wonder how, you know, how does a goddess... You know, go from being you go from being a goddess, you know, to 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 this role, you know, which is almost I don't know several steps, not several steps down. That's not the way I want to describe it, but it's much more it's it's mortal, isn't it? Right? Um, yeah. It's a lot more accessible. It's a lot more all of those things. But she leaves that world to do what? For what purpose? I, I don't know. I'm just curious what you guys think. Do you buy her struggle? Do you believe? Do you relate to her struggle as a leader? I think you know what that I mean? there's. There's a there's a new sense of vulnerability that I saw in like the most recent Uncanny X Men uh, series mm-hmm. run, and in which 
she's figuring out you know is she part of the x-men is she part of wakanda like where does she belong and whose allegiance does uh, does she owe to uh in terms of her identity and i think that vulnerability was a lot more interesting to me uh in terms of character development so i guess what we are i also have to go oh okay wait well, okay so oh, no. guys joe has to go really quick so can we just take like a break yeah, yeah. sure cool with you guys okay, okay. All right. we'll, we'll be back in two seconds all right. One of the most powerful and humanizing elements of Storm's character is something that Joe mentioned, and I completely agree, and it's her claustrophobia. And in Uncanny X-Men issue 102, we get to see the source of her trauma, which is her being buried alive next to her parents. And obviously, this comic was written at a time when comics were not written for adults. Uh, that said, you brought this up as well, Jake. What was sort of did the fact that it was tied to this real event, the, the Suez Canal crisis, did that add or take away to sort of the drama that was happening? And sort of the question that I want to ask everybody is, you know, was this a good moment in comics? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if, I mean, I think reading this in context is a lot different from reading it. Uh, how long ago did the did that issue come out? Oh, man, like 1975, 76. Right. So oh, wow. at that time... Learning about the Suez crisis was probably sort of a, a lesson for, you know, kids or adolescents reading the comic. And that was actually probably at least somewhat valuable. Now it's kind of like, oh, huh. You know, I don't think it adds anything over time. I do think it makes it difficult. This is an issue that, you know, long lasting comics face in general. But anytime you attach the characters to stuff that happens outside of just their universe, then the passage of time becomes an issue. This was 50 years ago, you know, Storm. Right. 60 years ago. Point. Yeah. Storm is not mm -hmm. 60. But that's that's kind of a minor point. I do think that that scene was well executed. I wish that, that we saw more of it. A lot of her origin story gets summarized, I would say. And I thought that was a good starting point, but the jump between there and getting to the moment where Professor Xavier meets her, a lot of time passes, a lot of stuff happens in her life, and we don't really see much of it. Marius, how about you? I, I really think that uh, the scene was very well executed because what we all know that Claremont is like really wordy writer, and I think that it made the scene even more interesting because he was kind of, he was really... Specific, yeah, that's the word. It was really specific about like the political backgrounds of a conflict. Like it said, uh, yeah, because the canals were nationalized and uh, the British and France government and whatnot. I really enjoyed that uh, it was kind of uh, explicit about the political background of that situation because uh, in a way it also criticized the conflict. And um, it's, it was, although it was not really necessary to uh, Storm's uh, trauma story, I kind of felt like uh, it was enjoyable because it uh, had um, another redeeming quality to the reader. Michelle, how about you? You know, I I have to say I really love the part uh, the the part of her story where she's a thief and the things that I think about things that pop to mind when 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 we think of her story during this period of time I think it's so fascinating they chose to make her a thief in Cairo in a Muslim country um, you know and and I think I don't know if that's on purpose and I don't know if that's something that they ever intended to explore a little bit but I thought that was kind of fascinating um, that she would that she would choose that life in the backdrops of of those streets and I like. Um, you know, like Marius, I really enjoy the conversation about the political actors 
um, in the construction of this scene. And I think that, you know, it's the same political actors at work today, right? So there's a there's an aspect of her story that, that although you're right, it was 50 something years ago, but we're still having the same conversations in this in this part of the world about you know, the, these power struggles and, and, and their impact on the people living there. So when Professor Xavier comes, you know, to, to remove her from that world, I, I, I would love to see someone take another shot at this aspect of her origin story, given the backdrop of what we're experiencing now with the Arab Spring and everything else that has happened in Cairo, you know, and oh, so again, her, you know, I think it'd be really cool. Absolutely. Gabby, how about you? I'd have to agree with Jake that I feel that the topicality of the Suez crisis, although lending her origin story a sense of historical specificity, also in, dates the story in a, in a way. But I also think more generally and perhaps qualitatively speaking, the moment of her parents being buried alive as a foundational event for her own claustrophobia, I felt was just very kind of schematic. And maybe that's skeptical or cynical of me, but I, I just felt because of, because of like how Jake was saying, a lot of her origin story is summarized. It felt like her parents were buried alive, therefore she's claustrophobic, which makes sense psychologically. But I suppose the lack I, I wanted I just wanted more from that moment and I suppose I wanted more in directly because you know she kind of it seems like she recovers quite quickly and then she and it, and it's true you know she has to survive so that's why she turns to being a thief and whatnot but personally speaking I felt that it was it, fe it felt a bit two-dimensional but I see Marius perhaps will counter my point oh actually before you go Marius can I can I counter actually I want to agree with Gabby believe it or not uh if I can and, and just say that I I very much felt the same way I felt like Jake that it was summary and I also felt like it was a little bit two-dimensional in the sense that I, I I didn't really experience what it was like to be buried alive with her parents and why. It's like, of course, the obvious sort of conclusion that you can make is that you would get claustrophobia from an event like that. It's very plausible that she has this phobia. But that being said, I wanted to see what more of like what the experience was like for her. It was very quick and a little bit rushed. And it was probably one of the moments where Marius, I would have wished that uh, uh, Claremont was a bit more verbose, believe it or not. And or that the visual storytelling was had more to it only because i think it's interesting i think it's fascinating i think so much of who storm is happens in that moment when we see her trapped with her parents when her parents die and as she feels that she can't get out and you know we're going to get more into that when we get to her analysis but yeah i wanted more marius uh yeah i I actually have to agree on your point that uh, it did feel a bit rushed because there was just so many character development taking place in like two panels. But I do think that it's, uh, I do think the scene is actually really interesting because I don't think she has claustrophobia because her parents were buried alive, but uh, rather because she was buried and had to watch her parents die being buried alive. Because Excellent uh, point. I think, I think that's kind of the point of her character. She's afraid of not being able to do anything which is why she kind of escapes into the illusion of becoming a goddess because she's almighty in that situation and in moments where uh, her claustrophobia affects her she's uh, like the total opposite of a goddess she's rather um unable to do anything because uh, that's what it felt like when her parents died. And yeah, I, I did think that that's pretty interesting because like in moments where her claustrophobia affects her, these are also the moments where she's unable to use her powers. 
Well, first of all, uh, uh, I think that's great insight into the character. I also wanted to get back to the point about specificity, both in in terms of this historical event and then placing Storm in Cairo during that period, because I think that's also a really interesting observation. And I think it also further highlights a point that I think, Michelle, you were making earlier about how the very beginning of the story is rich in detail, but then later, where is she? What country is that? The fact that they were able to make conscious choices about where a storm was going to live, which I think was interesting because that was a specific choice that the writer made. They were going to move her from New York and put her into Cairo. And then after that, they lose that, uh, that rich richness in detail. Do you guys think the fact that they tied it to the Suez Canal crisis, did it make it more real, less real, or did it not affect the situation at all? And we're running out of time for this segment, so let's just uh, try to keep the response short, if we can. Anybody? Yeah, for me, it was um, it was an interesting detail, but I didn't think it made it any more or less real. Anybody else? Uh, I feel like yeah. the, the interaction between the actual historical event and the event as it occurs in Storm's timeline was sort of like a tangential relationship, not a very deeply interrogated relationship. Michelle or Marius? Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I, <laughs> uh, I kind of feel like it's more replaceable than other historical contexts as, uh, for example, like uh, the origin of Magneto, the Holocaust story. It's basically, it's barely replaceable at all, but you can replace like the candle crisis by like any conflict in which, uh, yeah, houses get destroyed, I guess, and which takes place in, in Cairo or at least uh, nearby. So... Mm-hmm. I think I it think it's that. more it's more replaceable and uh, still kind of it's not something that affects the story in any negative way. So Michelle, how about you? Yeah, well, I, I, it's too bad that it doesn't affect the story. I, I, I agree with all of you guys to, to some degree. I mean, there, there are things I like about the setup. You know, I like, I like the potentiality of all of those things. Right. And I would have liked to have seen a more direct connection to perhaps an attack for heaven forbid, but perhaps an attack that would that would have caused the, you know, the the accident that would have caused a building to a collapse. That would have caused you know some sort of through line of connection between all these different things that they sort of throw together to set up this character, goddess, Africa, so. Kara, Cairo, they throw all these different things together, but they don't really sort of gel as as they as well they might. The moment where she is experiencing this claustrophobia and she's watching her parents die, again, lost lost opportunity in terms of like, you know, it happens, it's it's you're right. It does feel like it happens rather quickly as opposed to it happening, heaven forbid, over weeks, right? Or or months, you know, waiting waiting to be found. So I don't know. Seem very rushed. You're I'm, absolutely right about that. Yeah, I'm very much with you, Michelle. I, I actually, you echoed how I feel about it completely. I, I, I do think it's, you know, due to the fact that it's a product of its time, in addition to the fact that, uh, you know, the theory of comics has since grown and changed. There's a lot of things the artist and writer could have done to elongate the moment, and uh, I would have liked to see that more. So there's obviously some big changes over time in regards to Storm's character. So there's obviously some huge ones. So let's get out of that. that Let's get that out of the way. After Storm joins the X-Men and spends a lot of time in the U.S. again, what are some of the biggest changes we see in her character? 
Well, I think the one of the huge, the biggest changes is something that Marius alluded to in our initial discussion, and it's about Storm's transition from being in a place of a god where she has uncompromised her 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 principles can remain uncompromised, and her agency is also unlimited, to being a leader of a group of individuals, a group of human individuals, in which her morals like need to be compromised in order to maintain the safety of her you know, the people she's leading and also her principles have to change. And I think that that is most evident when she's dealing with Callisto and, you know, when she goes into the duel and then I think Nightcrawler says she has to have the duel in order to see who's going to be the leader of the Morlocks or gain their respect. And she actually fatally wounds Callisto. Obviously, Callisto doesn't die, but Nightcrawler's like, you know, Stormy, you never would do something like that before. And she's like, well, I had to do that because I'm the leader. And if I didn't do that, then we wouldn't be able to leave out of this place. And so I think that that's one of the main changes that we see her undergo. And one of the most interesting sort of struggles that she has as a leader and as a character. Right. And that was also clearly uh, an active choice from the writer. Cause, because how many times in comics have you seen superheroes go into si- into a situation where it seems like they'll have to kill someone and then they get out of it without having to do that? And in this situation, right. uh, it seemed like she had to kill Callisto and she actually was going to do that. She tried to, I think. How about uh, Marius or Michelle? Do you guys notice any particular changes? Michelle? Well, you know, again, you know, the, 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 just to, to latch on to these points, the deepening of her sense of leadership and what that means to her, having to step up to the plate to take on this responsibility. I mean, it, yes, she ha- she potentially, she has to step up to kill someone, but she herself could, could die. Um, and, and it's so much more... It's, it's everything that we wanted in, at the, in the origin story, right? Where you're feeling a sense of, of anxiety yourself where, uh, and again, a little bit to that, to, what was the thought experiment that we, we, we spoke of at the beginning of our the podcast? But yeah, you really, you really feel a lot more grounded yeah. yourself in her as a, as, a, as a character. And it's so much more juicier, you know, and you, I like this storm a lot more, you know, than the, than, the, than the broad strokes that we were introduced to earlier. Do you think that there's something relatable about the fact that we're seeing her um, make compromises with who she was and who she's turning into? Absolutely. And, and, and that's, that, that's, that's, very much what I think I like about this storm, um, you know, um, and, and, and it broadens the conversation about what it takes to be a quote unquote leader, you know, um, self, this, you know, the, 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 the stepping up to the plate aspect, the self-sacrificing aspect. Uh, we, we spoke a lot uh, to a lot of these ideas earlier, you know, the, the, oh, how do I feel about myself afterwards? Um, how do people feel about me? You know, all of those things are just, are just great to ponder. Great, great, great moral you know, ideas. And it's just really, it's lovely. It's just really, it's, it, I, I, I'm obviously I'm biased. I love, I love this lady. I think she's fabulous. <laughs> as we, as we all do. Uh, yes. You know, but, but I, I really do enjoy watching her, this powerful woman um, struggle and make, you know, she's still, she's still an executive. She's still making these decisions and you feel like you're in the CEO's office a little bit. Oh, that's really, that's right? a very cool point. Marius, do you find the conflict between her origins in Africa versus who she's become as a leader to be a powerful journey for her to go through? And, and do you feel the story is told powerfully in the pages of uh, Kenny X-Men? Yeah, I think in a way it is because what I find really interesting about the character, I mentioned that earlier, is that it's not that easy for her to be a leader because she will have to do uh, like controversial decisions, actually a lot of them, uh, and she does 
which is kind of part of being a leader instead of being a goddess. And it's a much more human task. And that's what always, uh, what has always been uh, like really difficult for her is that uh, she has to accept her human side and her human emotions, human problems uh, and whatnot. But she's actually become a pretty great leader and she uh, still has doubts about herself, like especially in the new Extraordinary X-Men run. But uh, something she discovered about herself or the reader discovers about her is that she's actually a great diplomat. We see that when she talks to Dr. Doom, but also when she talks to Tony Stark during uh, the Civil War. So she's also been like a pretty good queen, actually, even though she still has kind of she still internally struggles with what it means to be a queen. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, I think it's it, it's uh, really, like, it's really fascinating in a way. Yeah. I, and powerful. I, very cool. I, I, I think that, wow, I'm like, I'm really tired. So like, I'm like, keep forgetting my point as, like, right before I'm going to say it. It's, like, really terrible. But, oh, yeah, I, I wanted to talk about, oh, now I remember. Oh, Marius, you're gone. Oh, there you are. Oh, I'm back. Yeah, I, I think for X-Men fans, she adds another layer in the sense that we get to see her as this very different leader than Cyclops. And, you know, there's quite a lot of a lot of Cyclops fans here at Comics First and quite a lot of uh, Cyclops dissenters at Comics First as well. But I think either way, uh, when we take a look at the leadership of Cyclops, Magneto, Professor Xavier, Storm is such an interesting contrast to all of those. And I think she adds that sort of extra layer to um, the X-Men's leadership that I, I think is interesting. But I wanted to move on to her, her uh, physical transformation, which I remember being a kid and I was very, you know, taken aback by because it, it just seemed like such a radical change in the character. What did you guys think about uh, Mohawk Storm and her evolution into this? Marius? Well, when she first got the Mohawk in the 1980s, I thought uh, it was during the storyline where they visited Wolverine's wedding in Japan. And I kind of feel like in that storyline, she learned how to be less afraid of death, I guess. And that was kind of like a new era for the character. And that's why she got the Mohawk in the first place. And she had the Mohawk back after uh, getting divorced from the Black Panther and starting like her romance thingy with uh, Wolverine. And I think that, uh, as we said earlier before recording the, uh, recording the podcast, that each time she gets the Mohawk, it's kind of the beginning of uh, a new powerful era in the life of Storm. So it's pretty uh, it's pretty interesting and powerful to see her get the mohawk each time she does anybody else have any thoughts on mohawk storm as i call her when it's first revealed in the visit to wolverine's wedding i just thought she looked super cool like she was in blade or something it was really I, that's all i have to say it's not very well thought out it, no not, nothing i'm saying right now has value i just say two thumbs way up yeah i thought it was interesting i mean i don't know why for some reason I don't know if it's just because it has to do with hair, but film students and film theory students will probably know more about this in the sense that there's uh, this famous French wave film called Clio from five to seven. Michelle, do you know it? I know the film. I've never seen it, though. Full right. disclosure. Yeah. So mm -hmm. the main character in it sort of rips her, not sort of, she actually rips her wig off and her demeanor changes and, and her ripping off the wig is obviously sort of a metaphor for her taking off the mask and peeling off the mask mm -hmm. and uh is that what storm's doing is she does pre-mohawk storm with post-mohawk storm feelings has the goddess storm become a, a mask for her 
It sounds like you're suggesting that the goddess storm has become a mask for her. Yes. I think that's, a, <laughs> I mean, that's a good point. I, I don't. Or has it? Or is that still her? I think that that is a really, really great and really complicated question because I think it's something that Storm herself has trouble, maybe not so much in the later issues. I think in the later issues as she takes the, to the, you know, she goes to the fore in like human dealings and human politics. She becomes, I mean, Marius probably can speak to this better than I can because he's more caught up with the later issues. But my general perception is that she is more invested in her human life. And so the, you know, the identity of the god goddess seems less of a um, sort of intrusive identity, if you will. But I think certainly early on, I think maybe the most interesting thing to me would be the idea that Storm yearns for the place and time in which she could take on the mantle of the god because there's that really wonderful panel when she's walking through her garden in the attic and she's talking about she's wondering if everyone yearns for childhood if everyone yearns for a simpler time and if everyone is facing the kind of dilemmas that she's facing so i think perhaps you know i think as marius has alluded to a lot of you know throughout this podcast the goddess persona represents you know a defensive persona as well as a sort of simplified way of interacting with the world so i'm not sure i think it's a really interesting question whether or not she really you know whether it's a mask or whether it's an, a facet of her identity which she can sort of you know dispose of and utilize at will but i think more interesting to me perhaps is the idea that the god persona is just a way to deal with the world in a way that's a lot easier than having to be a leader of people that she feels as though she has control yeah Yeah. or the illusion of control right because it's in a i mean it's in that you know it's in a community that's very isolated although we're not really sure (laughs) what kind of you know what the real community is but right mm -hmm. yeah that was that was the buzzword that popped into my head right away that uh, that word of control i'm gonna take this mass of flowing white hair and i'm gonna basically you know put it right into you know the confines of this particular (laughs) you know uh (laughs) construct right here you know and it's very 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 specific right it's it's architectural and, and then she doesn't just change her hair she changes her entire outfit if I recall. Yeah, so she becomes, absolutely. You know what I mean? It's it's this whole thing that's that's almost um, militaristic, you know, in terms of like it being controlled and buttoned down and, you know, I'm making these, I'm making these decisions. She's more covered as well, which I think right. is mm-hmm. actually like, but is relevant to the character because that there's the, you know, one of the first things Justin and I read together in, pre- in preparation with for this podcast is the moment when she's with Jean Grey and she's just naked yeah. and Jean yeah. Grey's like, what? And she's like, why should I be ashamed of my body? Like, this is me. And it, you know. So she, Mar- Marius, I remember what I was going to say before was that here's yet another example of Jean Grey outing someone, although not for their sexuality, <laughs> but outing their past trauma, which I thought was. Which is my, maybe even worse. It is worse. Yeah. I mean, no, because she just freaking outed Iceman. I mean, she just, she's like, oh, you're gay? Oh, you're gay. Told everyone immediately, right? <laughs> um, that really wasn't cool, Marius. I remember Marius and I had many discussions about that, but yeah. I digress. And um, Marius, what were you going to say about uh, Storm's Mohawk? Uh, I was That's just going to add I never thought would ever come out of my mouth. But about uh, the scene with Jean Grey where she just takes all of her clothes off. Right. I think it's uh, a pretty interesting example for how uh, Storm has kind of... Like when she comes to the US, she's not really used to like the culture of a regular life of a person living in New York. So I just thought it was interesting to see it kind of the other way around. While most mutant characters kind of want 
a normal regular life and uh, their powers are kind of a burden for them that kind of disable that normal life from happening uh, i don't know if that was a sentence i'm sorry so uh, however in the case of storm i think that her powers and the way she loved to use them kind of were better than a uh, quote unquote regular life and she kind of struggles with getting into that regular life and the cultural norms and everything so i just thought that makes her even more interesting as a character i very much agree and um since we're running out of time for the segment i'm going to start with my response to the question and see uh, if people agree with it or not. And uh, when Marius and I were choosing the comics for this podcast, Marius was typically focusing on the the later issues, and I was focusing on the earlier issues that I had read as a kid. And one of the later ones I did pick, though, was her run in Uncanny X-Men when she was leading a small team with Warpath and uh, Skids as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. is there, and as well as Mask and the Morlocks. And it's we're going to talk about our favorite storm moments and things later, but it was certainly my favorite storm moment, and certainly a, a, a moment and we're gonna talk about this later about her as a role model where i really looked up to her character because we see her combat her claustrophobia and combat the thing that terrifies her the most and face her fear and and, and very much get over it because she's terrified at the end of one of those issues when it goes completely to black and we can just see a little bit of her face and the uh speech balloon so i was wondering what you guys thought about her overcoming claustrophobia does that sort of make sense given all the changes that she makes? Why do you think it's important that it happens then so much later, Marius? Uh, yeah, there's a really interesting scene in one of the later X-Men issues about the all-female team where basically she's falling into that dark cave and facing her claustrophobia once again. And uh, she kind of has... Uh, the issue takes place after the death of Wolverine and uh, they, she kind of has... Uh, conversation with her deceased lover which is interesting because uh, it kind of shows that uh, he helps her get over that uh, fear and claustrophobia and it's kind of symbolic to me because I think that the key to overcoming her trauma is accepting uh, her human emotions and becoming more human and uh, that's kind of like the opposite of uh, trying to be a goddess and uh, I think that it's realistic in terms of uh, character development that uh, she will be able to overcome uh, this trauma at one point by uh, accepting her human side. Yeah, I, I sort of liked in a story that where there's no third act like X-Men, where he needs to keep continuing and continuing that yeah. we really see a character overcome something or begin to overcome something. And it's like you said, it's not like she doesn't deal with it again. Because I think as all human beings suffer trauma um as those of us who remember ours and and deal with ours more closely to the surface like storm although we can have moments of achieving it and overcoming it it doesn't mean that we don't have to deal with it in the future and i and i like right. how that's sort of dealt with in the comic so since no one has anything to add, we're just going to... It was just a brief thought that, you know, it's it's yet another reason why I really, again, really admire this character. That, you know, she she allows us to, you know, in grounding ourselves in her experience, we're allowed to have that particular experience with her, right? This idea that I can have a trauma that was that happened so far in, in my in my past and still have this opportunity to outgrow it. So, and I love, the, I like the message. You know what I mean? And I like that. I love that Storm's never a victim. Do you know what I mean? I really like that, that she, that she, that she steps up to her responsibilities always. And I, I think that's a wonderful message for, for all people. I, <laughs> Just thumbs up Storm. I very much agree. Amarius. I wasn't going to say anything. 
Oh, um, okay. I thought you said so. Sorry. Um, I think I was distracted by the fact that I've never seen you without your glasses on. Um, yeah, yeah I, I just wanted to say, by the way, guys, I just wanted to say that I need to go to bed. All right, sure. So. Yeah, I know. It's really, really late there. Marius, thank you so much for Thanks everything. Thanks so much, Marius. Oh, Sleep no well. Good so meeting you. wonderful meeting you. Good night. Oh, thank you. Your insights nice are so guys. amazing. Yeah. Seriously. That was really amazing. Sorry, we'll said. miss you for the rest of the podcast. Yeah. You're really well. I'm sorry. I would love to record more of that stuff, but I got to get up early for all the masturbation and poop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to be, you got to get enough sleep for that. Yeah. Sleep yeah. well, Marius. All right. Good night. Bye. 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 Thank you. Bye. Anyway, in my podcast, now that we're several, several of us are um, hosting different ones, I like to talk about Susan Batson's truth, as Gabby likes to know, um, or as Gabby likes to, as Gabby likes. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, Susan Batson's Truth is a book on method acting, and she talks about some sort of age-old principles, like the truth of the character, the public persona who we're trying to be in the outside world, what we're trying to project, what we want people to think of us, our need, which is sort of the opposite of that, that informs the public persona in terms of, you know, what we need to do to make it so people can't discover those inner parts of ourselves and then the tragic flaw which is really the jam up between a person and achieving what it is that they need so when we look at storm and we try to apply these principles of method acting to her character when we think about storm's public persona what comes to mind for you guys i mean most immediately is the idea of the really competent and principled leader who will mm -hmm make the, the difficult calls to make sure that people are kept safe and that the objective the objectives that her team have set out to achieve are achieved. And then also like obviously being incredibly, for the most part, self-possessed and, you know, and like aware of her own, of who she, how she wants to be perceived and who she is. I think that a lot of Storm's conflict within herself very rarely comes from other people. It really comes from her not living up to her own expectations. At least that's what you know. I took away from. Yeah, I, I would agree with all those points, and also add that uh, Storm clearly has some level of majesty that surrounds the character in a way that other leaders in the X Men community don't seem to have. Michelle, anything to add? No, I I agree with all those points and i would say you know there's a very very strong sense of her i don't know she she's very she even amongst all these x-men who have powers unique in particular to who they are and their own uh, origin stories etc there's something about her that's still somewhat distinct and unique i would argue i'm not e i'm not even sure what that thing is but but there's something about her that's that's almost beyond the individual right there's something it's almost like she she needs her own flag. Is the best way I can describe it. You <laughs> That's know? a great thing to say about Storm for sure. I mean, if she had a flag, I would be flying it. Right. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um. Yeah. I, I I very much agree with that. I mean, I wrote down some notes about her public persona. I wrote down goddess, princess, leader. That she's a very much maternal figure. Uh, like Gabby, a competent leader. I wrote in charge and selfless. What were you gonna add, Gabby? Yeah, like in acting terms, she would always be high status. Yes. You know, if yes. you were playing Storm you would never 
even in her moments of fear and self-doubt, you would never be playing a low-status character. You don't even think when, when she's she, suffering from her claustrophobia? Absolutely not. Okay. I mean, when she's suffering from her claustrophobia, it kind of transcends like the status question because she's in a state of like utter panic. Right. And anyone, when they're in a state of utter panic, it's, it's you know, it's fight or flight. It's not really, you know, the kings and really cool people. Everyone has like moments of panic. But I think like if you were playing Storm, you would you would have to have the bearing of someone who is... I like in terms of their identity almost unassailable you know what i mean and and totally like i don't know regal absolutely michelle which brings me to what you're saying brings me to the to the thought of why i think that i and so many fans of this character have struggled with the casting choices that they've made for the character and it has it has everything to do with everything you just said that sense of majesty depth control power capability you know i'm going to do but first, you guys wait here, you know, <laughs> exactly. so, so having that. And you know, I think um, and I and I agree with you insofar as I feel like she part of that is her beauty. You know, she's unquestionably an incredibly physically beautiful person. And I think in the casting, I mean, whatever, I'm not going to throw any shade at any actresses. No, no. But I think that for sure the, you know, producers have been more focused on making sure that, you know, she's uh, portrayed as physically beautiful, perhaps before anything else. <laughs> right. Nothing wrong with physical beauty, by the way. I have nothing against it. It's not the, but, it's not the uh, same I'm kind of... I'm for it. <laughs> yeah. I think physical beauty is great. But it just so happens that Storm is not only beautiful, but also queen of the world. This is so true. Jake, anything to add? Uh, not on the public Absolutely. persona. Absolutely. Right, cool. Yeah. So... When we take a look at the need, we can say, you know, what's kind of the opposite of the public persona? And that won't lead us right to it, but it'll give us some clues. So when I thought about things like what it meant to be a goddess, what it meant to be a princess, you know, how maternal she was and how, how selfless she wants to seem, I, I, I think about, again, about her being trapped with her parents and how Storm, whether that event happened or not, I, I don't think that trauma informs her need to be free and i think when i say free i mean it in a very metaphorical sense the text referring to how she's flying and how it's her favorite thing to do how you know she's from africa this very you know open place in the world where where, where we can probably the last continent where we can see the stars beautifully from what i hear and yeah and i guess i, I just always comes to those things of her taking off her clothes and there's a few times a few times in the comics that we may not have read where she disrobes and and you know just to become one with the elements you know with embracing her power is where she feels the most at home contrary to characters like Jean Grey who even say that you know it, it feels like a curse and then whereas when Jean Grey is Phoenix and she's embracing her power a very different thing happens than when Storm embraces mm -hmm. her power which is sort of natural so like Marius was saying I didn't realize she was an Omega level mutant which seems like the highest and I um, was really surprised by that but uh, still I, I just think of her as someone who, who wants to be free and I'm actually going to add the, the tragic flaw to that and then you guys can talk about both but uh, when I thought when I thought about her tragic flaw to me it was obviously the claustrophobia but more so than the claustrophobia like what does it mean that she's claustrophobic and I thought about how trapped and helpless she must have felt and how she needed help and how you know part of her public persona is helping others is being the leader you know being the one to save people and how that interacts with the tragic tragic flaw I thought was really interesting uh, unfortunately as we said the the text and the images in the issues where we learn about her her and her parents being buried alive we don't really get to experience that with her as, as well as we could being the com comics being the medium they were at the time but you know I, I think for me when i 
think about those things. And Michelle, you talked about the potentiality of of, out of all of all this. When you sort of think about it, it all really makes sense. And I think that we're going to talk about this more. But but to me, the ideas behind it, although again, the text may not have been so adult, the ideas behind it are very much adult, and I do think lend themselves to a really nice three dimensionality in the comic. So or for a character. So that being said, I just wanted to open up to everybody else in regards to need and tragic flaw. So is her tragic flaw her claustrophobia or is it her need for control? Because we did talk about that a little bit earlier about when I was talking about how the origin story was kind of schematic in that she witnesses her parents being buried alive and therefore is claustrophobic. And Marius, you know, sort of deepened that and said that, you know, she's not claustrophobic because she saw her parents get buried alive. She's claustrophobic because she wasn't able to help her parents in that situation. So I wonder if her claustrophobia is really just you know, it's a manifestation of feeling like you have a lack of agency. And mm-hmm. like, that's really her. I mean, and I don't know, but at the same time, I don't know if that's a flaw. I don't know if it's a flaw right. to fear not having well, control. No, it's, a, it's not a flaw as in, you know, she's wrong, but it's a, it's a flaw in that it prevents her from achieving whatever her need is. Right. And I think that sometimes her, you know, where she faces struggles comes through the fact that she some, doesn't, like that she doesn't have ultimate control over herself once again in that scene where she's in the loft and she realizes that she's neglected her plants and so she makes a bit a tiny storm to like water them and then she starts thinking about all of these struggles she's gone through and how it's going to be so difficult to lead the x-men and this and that and the other and her emotions affect the storm and her plants are all ruined and she's just so you know she's distraught and disappointed in herself that she's not able to better control her own emotions and how it affects her power So I think for me, I think of Storm as someone who has remarkable self-control, but also has a lot of trouble acknowledging that there are times when she doesn't have that control. And instead of accepting that about herself, she's always sort of at odds with that. Yeah, I think another, it might just be another way of saying the same thing. But for me, the need was related to balance. And for Storm, it's unique in that her need for balance is actually connected to the way that her powers manifest in the way that you just described, Gabby. I would say that, I mean, on the on the tragic flaw uh, issue, I think it's a problem that we're talking about some of the features of this character and the struggles that she faces, but the most distinct challenge that she has is that she's claustrophobic. That's not a very interesting challenge to me. This is a character that's existed now for 50 years. And over the course of all that time, the most interesting challenge is that she can't handle tight spaces. And I understand that that represents something more complicated and relates to her her need for balance or her, her need to uh, control situations. But it's also kind of shallow to me. Oh, so you don't think that it adds three-dimensionality in that her claustrophobic is particularly so debilitating to her and so deep-running within her? Well, it to me, it seems like almost every superhero has some element of that. I'm not sure if it's quite this stark, because for Storm, when it comes up, it's very clear, and uh, it directly relates to her origin story. But 
superheroes have these specific weaknesses all the time. You know, there's that M. Night Shyamalan movie, Unbreakable, where Bruce oh, Willis... Oh, I was just thinking about that too, actually, when you said that. He's supposed to be this stereotypical superhero, and he ha- and just like every superhero, he has this one weakness that he winds up discovering. So I think in some respects, it, it adds better depth to the character. I mean, it's better than not being there, but it also seems that they've had lots of opportunities now to develop her into a more complex character. And uh, in other ways, they've succeeded in that. The, you know, the way that she's thought about herself as a leader of the team over the years. But in this respect, I don't get very much from the creators hammering away at her being claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. Michelle, how do you feel? You know, I, I can I can totally see see that point because on the one hand you have you do have this larger than life character and it's it's a little bit unremarkable that she'd be brought low by th- something so you know mundane right but but at the same time the, when I think about her claustrophobia I I take the angle in that it, it really is a lot about a couple of things that we've already discussed, right? So, of course, it's about the inability to prevent the death for parents, the inability to to prevent her. her herself being trapped in that in that experience um it's also you know having the power to be as as big as the world itself and then all of a sudden being confined to this incredibly tight space against your will and 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 so when i think about storm and i think about this weakness and and why they would make this particular choice for me it it sort of taps into this thought that what storm needs more than anything and which is often the case of many great leaders is is to be nurtured and i think that's what she gets when when you know professor xavier comes to her and he's able to communicate to her on a level that truly is the first time that anyone is able to allow her to be, you know, going back to that potentiality, allow her to be human, you know, allow her to relate to another person and talk to her, talk about her her mutant experience in a way that isn't supernatural, that has nothing to do with her being a goddess, a goddess, right? She can go to this to this place and be a student, you know, to be one of many, to be a, a team member, and then eventually to step into what is her natural role as leader. And so as she goes through this experience of, of overcoming her claustrophobia, I think it's very much tied to her learning how to accept being nurtured, um, letting go of that control, you know. Um, the, so that's, that's uh, to, to me, that's reflected in the relationships that she develops with her friends, uh, you know, her teammates, um, her romantic relationships. All of those things you'll notice sort of develop over time. And then, you know, the claustrophobia sort of has less and less of an effect, right? I don't know. So, so it's just one of those, one of those, um, one of those things where I think that it's, it's, I don't know. I hope that all made some sense. No, no, no. And and I just to piggyback off of that, I think that's so true that what she you know, we talk about this question of whether Storm is grounded and in which ways she is grounded. And I think that the nurturing provides her groundedness in the realm of humanity. And that's really what looking at her backstory and her even her experience after that fact like that's what she needs you know real human relationships in which she's not you know placed on a pedestal or or you know any other sort of variety of like being othered you know (laughs) that she's Mm -hmm. actually relating to people on on the on the level of the you know the mundane perhaps and I think that that point is evidenced in the moment where her reaction to her own primal fear when she's in the living chrome statue by Dr. Doom when they're going to, you know, free Arcade, her reaction to being freed is to go to the other sort of end of the spectrum and to inhabit the 
identity of the god figure and at the risk of killing everyone and the only way that she can get out of that headspace is to reason with herself and to say you know if i was really a god i would be like thor and i would be able to do all this without any sort of you know limits but instead i have to work within the realms of you know within the confines of the natural space and i obviously have to work with it and i'm and my power isn't unbounded and then it's only when she literally becomes grounded by falling to earth into the arms of her friend that she's able to overcome that moment of like supreme terror manifested as inhabiting the identity of a god so i think that you're like i totally agree with what you're saying and that professor xavier provides for her the space to learn how to become a member of a community you know what i mean and yes. that's really mm-hmm. what she you know thrives with and and that's that's escaping out of the box right mm-hmm. that's that's the prison that she's in that she's always felt alone she's always had this then again we, it goes back to these 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 sort of uh, i don't know beats that we keep hearkening on that she's almost somehow outside of the venn diagram whatever it is yeah. you know what i mean and and you know and and then and then and then you know these little moments you know are are, are much more important because again it, it brings her back to earth it brings her back to that sense of connection and community you're absolutely right michelle i'm going to piggyback off a little bit about what you said as well i think bringing up her relationship with with xavier is a really important point because she and xavier have a very successful relationship and we've covered so many different people on this podcast like uh, jean gray cyclops uh, emma frost which have a very different relationship uh, with xavier not that it isn't positive for a long period of time but really xavier has never done wrong by storm except maybe in the sense that he probably invaded her mind a few times that we haven't talked about yet but but yeah anyway so she has a really really great relationship with him and i think one of my favorite parts of extraordinary x-men and i didn't have many of them and that's not to insult the writers um it's to sort of insult the corporation of disney who's mandating them to write a certain way probably the most interesting thing that's happened to me in that series is at the end of or or, uh in the middle of the issue when she consults the hologram of xavier because even in this time of leadership where she is in utter control where she is you know embodying her persona her public persona we see her try to get help and and feel a little bit of the nurturing that you talked about michelle uh from xavier so um yeah i wanted to bring that up all right cool let's move on to the next one Really quick, I want to talk about Storm's relationships, and we're running out of time, so you know we're going to have to talk about them quickly, but let's talk about her relationship with Cyclops, and I'm going to go first in the sense that, not in the sense, I'm going to go first because I remember reading it with Gabby, the issue during the Dark Phoenix saga, and there's, though we read the issue, I chose it solely because of one panel, and that panel is when we see Storm and Cyclops lock arms at the end, and he goes to her for advice, and and she goes to him with her concerns, and they have a conversation about Jean and where she's headed in her life and where she's headed with all this power, and of course it's a moment of foreshadowing because you know we know that she becomes a dark phoenix and then takes her own life spoiler if you ever read the dark phoenix sagas from 1980, I don't know why you're an X-Men fan, but whatever. <laughs> the seminal X-Men piece, if I do say so. So, I think that that's really important because, first of all, for me as a little kid, what that really showed me was, hey, boys and girls can be friends. Boys and girls can have wonderful platonic relationships and be there for each other. And I never knew otherwise. And that little panel had such a suggested that to me at such a a young age and i've never thought differently so that's um, probably the one panel that suggests that cyclops can have platonic relationships (laughs) with women that's probably true as well but for whatever reason i have that effect on me 
Um, that's a good point, actually. Now, now you're taking away my whole childhood, Jake. Well, it's just Cyclops. That's that... true. Are, are you a Cyclops hater? I forget. Uh, no, I got no problem with Cyclops. You have, you're just you're a you're like even on Cyclops. Well, something I noticed in reading these Storm issues is that it seemed like every time we saw Cyclops, he was first of all shirtless, second of all dating someone different. Um, this is true, and uh, I think it's worth noting that he was dating one of his wife's clones. It happens. Things that ha- uh, hashtag things that happen in real life. Hashtag Cyclops's life. Hashtag I love my wife's clone. Yeah. <laughs> hashtag I love my wife's clone until my actual wife comes back, even though they're not wife. They're just my fiance. And then I leave my wife's clone and my baby with her to be with my new wife. Don't tell her. Then everyone gets pissed off at me. And then Cable, my son turns into Cable, um, which is who the son turns into. And then later on, uh, you leave your wife anyway for Emma Frost, and then cheat on your wife with her, and then have sex with her for the first time in real life not headphone sex or whatever um on her grave at her funeral and i just think <laughs> that that is quite an arc that's all i'm gonna say that is quite an arc um and that's the cyclops podcast. Yeah, hashtag cyclops is life thanks for listening everybody yeah no that's <laughs> exactly <laughs> so does anyone have anything to add specifically about her relationship with cyclops before we move on to other characters only very briefly that i think that i agree with what you're saying about there's you know their deep platonic friendship and they're also their deep mutual respect when they have their duel to see who will take over leadership of the x-men it's not you know there's no maliciousness there's no question of oh like am i going to let you have this advantage or that they they see each other as complete equals and thus they see the duel as the perfect way to determine who should be the leader because they know that they're on you know that they will be on an equal playing field and there's no question of you know the i mean obviously they're mutants which so which is you know, maybe a, a subject for another podcast about like how being a mutant is sort of like a gender equalizer almost, um, which is also really interesting. But anyway, that is really interesting. Yeah. But um, yeah. but yeah, like I thought that was really cool that she was like, you know what? Listen, we can't figure out who's going to be the leader. We're going to fight and let the best man win. And at the end, she's like the best X-Man won. And then and then Cyclops is just like, yep, well, <laughs> that really sucks. I'm going to Alaska. And, and he slowly walks out of the danger room. Hey, it's, uh, again, hashtag Cyclops' life, just saying. <laughs> All right, let's talk about what you said before, Michelle, about her being nurturing. And I think that that comes out best in her relationship with Kitty Pride. Did anyone have anything to say about Storm as a nurturer and or her relationship with Kitty? Yeah, I mean, that that actually also, for me, my first experience with X-Men was the 90s cartoon series. Right. And that is definitely something that uh, was included in that depiction of the character in her relationship with Rogue specifically. So I think that fits into some of the stuff that we were saying about her public persona. Yeah, and it's clear that she develops that relationship with kitty pride that's something more than a mentor it's more like a maternal figure right like an aunt or something she calls her kitten (laughs) all right what about one of my favorite classic x-men issues was that issue with jean gray because it's just so classic jean gray they should call it they should have called it classic jean gray one i'm really passive aggressive but um jean gray again the patron saint of the comics first office aka my apartment um so we can't say anything bad about her what were our thoughts on this particular issue of classic x-men where jean reads storm's mind against her will and really pissing off storm well i mean the first thing that we have to recognize is that uh that depiction of the 70s fantastic they're out (laughs) they go shopping and their outfits are fabulous that's very true, Jake. Mm-hmm. I don't really have anything yes. else to say about the issue. <laughs> yeah, I think we can sum up 
Jean Grey and Storm's relationship in one word, and that one word is fabulous. And I think fashion turned to the left. Right? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with all these. Um, well, I'm just gonna go off of the topic of fashion, and I'm gonna oh. talk. Ab- <laughs> and I'm gonna talk about how it's just it's a cool it's a it's it's an interesting transitional moment where um, Storm is like you know reluctantly seeking help as to like how to blend in or like assimilate somewhat to american culture and gene is like not really the most understanding there's a kind of weird moment where (laughs) where okay she's like storm you can't wear your fighting clothes so storm gets naked as we mentioned before and then gene's like well no you can't be naked here wear this dress that's two sizes too small for you and then (laughs) storm's like oh wait no i am talking about fashion i guess that's really you just went to the crux of the issue jake (laughs) and so um (laughs) and then storm's like i can't move and gene's like don't breathe. Like literally she says like she goes, don't, don't breathe. breathe or sit down. Yeah. And then Right, right. And then yeah, so it's like, I don't know. Jean's not Jean's not the most um sensitive of friends. And then she talks a lot about like, I'm a telepath, so I know everything. You know, like isn't that the, that moment she's like, You think your life is hard? Well, I'm a telepath. <laughs> and that this is this is the foundation of their friendship. Yeah. I- I just, I just thought I loved Jean Grey so much because she does such <laughs> shit. Right? She's just so awesome at the same time. <laughs> she is so moral, but she does. She's just so no, she's passive lovely. aggressive and so um like self obsessed. You know, I love it in, in, when yes. she's becoming the phoenix and they're like Storm could be dead, and she's like, um, I'm in the hospital, so are we gonna focus on me? Oh now my gosh, or? that's so yeah. true. <laughs> oh yeah and like professor xavier's like we gotta go like figure this out and And she's like like, xavier is so rude right now like she literally says she's like um spotlight on me um (laughs) thanks i'm sitting in the hospital um storm could be dead but so could i you know it's like and i have red hair you know what i'm saying it's like um i very much thought about that so can i I talk about a relationship with storm it's a really humor it's like oh sure just a quick detour okay when doom okay what <laughs> what does doom want with storm Damn. he he puts he makes her a living chromium statue and then his reasoning obviously to you know stop her from killing him but also because he's like and now her beauty will never fade then makes a storm robot to be his slave and then when you know everything sort of when the dust settles literally hits on storm and is like you're a very interesting woman i would like to know you better and then she's like you're not my enemy or my friend bye she was receptive <laughs> yeah she was she was like who is this guy yeah it's like maybe <laughs> yeah um yeah you made me into a living chromium statue but that metal face of yours it intrigues me <laughs> like what it was so weird that was probably the most confused I was about one of Storm's cons- one of Storm's decisions. The fact that she was not like you, dude. Like she she literally was like, hmm, "It's fine. I'm not a statue anymore." <laughs> like, it's so weird. Made it through, and um, you know, not call me. Yeah, she. Ex- <laughs> I'm like, it's so weird. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that was too funny. You know, I really wanted to go through and talk about all her romances with uh, Forge, Black Panther, Wolverine, etc. But uh, since we don't have time for that, let's talk about each one of you. Who is, and we'll start with Michelle, who is the love of Storm's life? Oh, gosh. That's that's a really, you know, I would have, I would have said Forge, but I, um, no, I'm going to go with Forge, actually. I feel I feel like there was something there, something really romantic and 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 lovely between the two of them. I think that the that the the Black Panther relationship was 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 a merger 
more more so than than a romance. Mm, absolutely, yeah. You know, um, so I would say up up until the Wolverine, you know, interlude. Certainly, Forge is, has been the love of her life. Yes. Awesome, Jake. What do you I think? Don't. Yeah, I'd say Forge. I think that's a great description of the Black Panther relationship. Me too. I totally agree. And then with Forge, it's just you know there are these missed connections and everything, and I think that uh, I just think that seems like the truer romance. Mm-hmm. I would agree with what's been said. Although I will say the <laughs> the honeymoon of Storm and Wolverine on the time on that weird planet where time goes slower or faster. I don't know relativity. Um, like that was that was cute. You know, they built their little cottage on that planet, and then they're like, "Let's never leave." I just thought that was cute. Ah, yeah. I hmm. I'm gonna go on record and saying I don't think she's met the love of her life yet. But if she, maybe she doesn't have one, maybe it's nature or something. Um, and I actually mean that seriously. <laughs> no, because some people. I agree with that. I don't think. I mean, I guess I was uh, if you have to choose one, but right. you know, I don't. I don't even know if like people have loves of their lives as an abstract thing well i feel like some characters are like for example i think probably there's a good argument for emma scott and gene all having one versus storm you don't you don't agree well it's just funny how everything relates back to gene gray for me <laughs> no the cyclops having a love of his life based on you know <laughs> considering the the summary you gave of his character arc that's just true i mean but look i'm not saying look you can have chlamydia but you can have a love of your life and that's important (laughs) for people listening to this um get tested and um make sure that you're having passing safe sex because you don't want to put it in your love of your life when it's dirty and diseased i'm just saying that what it's just some advice i'm just giving the thirty thousand people who are listening to this some advice and some of them i'm sure are making their doctor's appointment right now and calling their ex-girlfriends so that's really wonderful um so let's move on to kind of the whole point of this podcast which is storm as the most recognizable black superhero and i Believe it or not, I actually hate Wikipedia, but I say that, although I spend hours and hours reading Wikipedia articles as if they're law. But I pulled out a little part of uh, Wikipedia here that talked about Storm and uh, about her as a black superhero. And I, you know, had some questions about it. So I think... Oh, Michelle, I wanted to ask you first, actually. Yeah. So obviously her, her story is uh, quite epic, and um, it's, it's not really an episode of Six Feet Under. This is, this is far-fetched, if I may uh, make that judgment. Um, I, don't, unless, you know, we all, I don't know any goddesses in my past who later became superheroes who were once thieves and who were once born in Manhattan. I just, um, it's a combination I've yet to come across, but I'm glad Storm exists. You haven't met Wanda? I, I, unless you're referring that to Scarlet really, Witch, that was a really poor attempt at humor. No, I'm it was sorry. very funny, but but um, it reminded me of Scarlet Witch, and I have not met her, but um, she also has a convoluted history with like fifteen sets of parents. So, and anyway, it got me thinking. So, X Men introduced this character, Cecilia Reyes, who was supposed to be Puerto Rican, and I was like, oh, obviously the person doesn't know like what a Puerto Rican person is, so they thought they wrote about and and rendered uh, a Puerto Rican woman the way they thought they would, which is sort of like a light-skinned black woman who has absolutely no Spanish in her whatsoever. So I was just sort of fascinated by that in the way that I didn't understand it. (laughs) But as someone born in Africa who spent a a lot of time growing up there, do you feel similarly about Storm than I do to Cecilia Reyes, or is there more of like an Africanness to Storm? You know, I I have to say, you know, that the storm of today has has a quality that that's 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 so 
and I don't and I, I genuinely mean this. I almost feel like she's almost beyond being African at this point. Um, you know, it's it's uh, there there is an aspect of her origin story like with those beats, right? There's Cairo, there's Kilimanjaro, there's Sahara. There are these words, but but you know, as someone who grew up in Africa, when you say Wakanda to me, that means absolutely nothing whatsoever. You know, um, whereas you know, we'll take someone like a Thor, where you can pull from authentic historical source material that exists, you know? So to make a character like, and I was thinking about this actually on, on driving, driving back to, to podcast with you guys. You know, I was thinking, you know, for, for a character like that to be relatable to me in terms of her backstory, um, it'd be lovely to see them pull from, from, from a kingdom that perhaps might have existed. We don't know much about it, but there's the point of reference there that makes it more, again, relatable. There are aspects that you can pull from that makes it, again, for someone like me, more, more exciting. So I don't really relate to her Africanness any more than perhaps a television commercial to go visit, you know, on safari. Does that make sense? It doesn't really feel, she doesn't feel African. She feels like a piece of fiction. Does she feel inauthentically African in the sense, of this, in the same way that I thought Cecilia Reyes was inauthentically Puerto Rican? I would have to agree with you. I feel like she's inauthentically African. Like she has the broad strokes where if you're just sort of like, you know, again, if you're just watching the commercial, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's Safari. Right, right, right. Got it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, great. Yeah, there's a giraffe. Got it. Right. Do you know what yeah, I mean? yeah. Totally. Do you know oh. what I mean? So it, <laughs> she's, she's African in that sense. It's like, right. oh, there's a zebra. I got it. That's, that's Africa. <laughs> you don't really need much more than that. Right. It can be Wakanda. It can be this. It can be that. Whatever. There's a zebra. I'm done. So that's kind, that's <laughs> kind of how she feels. No, am I, I mean, you know, yeah. it's, it's not a knock or anything. It's just that, um, you know, when, when you, when you, when you talk about her authenticity in that, in that regard, a Wakanda doesn't resonate as well as an Aksum or, you know, a Timbuktu, Mali, Sangha. I mean, there are thousands upon thousands of kingdoms to pick from that you can play with. Right. So, and I, and I, and I'm just putting it out there because Thor gets to play around in Valhalla and all of these things are a part of mythic history that people can, can relate to. Uh, I don't know any African there can relate to Wakanda, you know? I think that's the next I don't know what that, I'm just thinking out loud. I'm just sharing that thought. But, no, of you know, course. That's, 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 no, no, yeah. no, no, that's what this podcast is about. It's about thinking out loud and sharing yeah. those thoughts. So yeah. that's exactly <laughs> that what we're a, doing. That was a super interesting observation. Yeah. I completely agree. I, I was in preparation for the podcast. I was trying to think about like, what's the function of of Storm's Africanness, or maybe in a broader sense, her blackness. But it's never really an issue, which I think is kind of unrealistic. <laughs> or maybe, you know, <laughs> it just speaks to the, the idea that she is this super, this just super being, you know, in a lot of ways. And yeah, like her, her Africanness is so unspecific that it almost is erasable. It's not erasable insofar as like her name is Aurora and they're always making reference to it, but it's, it's not, it's not an aspect of her that you feel is like deeply like it's like it's like it's not personalized and it's not related to like a, a web of history or like a narrative that you can see in the actual world necessarily and even the right. words that are used like the idea of a goddess versus you know any number of sort of you know the words that you could use with i'm thinking more you know in west africa like you know ancestor worship and the words that you could have used to describe that kind of belief system that perhaps would have grounded her in a more you know in like a, a more culturally rich foundation mm -hmm. because you know that I, I think you know goddess as a word connotes uh you know western european and probably even more like immediately like greco-roman notions of like feminine divinity not necessarily like african feminine divinity 
which is is kind of different you know mm-hmm. and and i say african again i'm really right now like with my oh, realm of yep. knowledge i'm thinking more like west african because that's what i know and yeah so and even you know with it's sort of it, i love storm so much but she does fall into the category of characterizations of black women of you know the super beautiful, super powerful, super principled, super awesome person who obviously like has flaws and has struggles, but ultimately is like just this monolith of positive traits more so I feel that I'm than a than a, you know, living, breathing sort of suffering <laughs> person. So, I mean, I still think she, the representation is so important and so great but i don't i do think she's mi- like her we we can take her africanness for granted and we can certainly take her blackness for granted and i feel like it would be cool if you know in later issues if there was an author or a writer you know a comic writer who could somehow interrogate her cultural and ethnic heritage even with her parents, you know, being from New York and then moving to Cairo and like, obviously she didn't grow up with her parents, but you know, what does that mean? Like in her early childhood, what does it mean? Like, were they like, you know, I mean, I don't know. It just, I feel like it's, it's very superficially explored, which is unfortunate. One, one second, Michelle. Gabby, do you think her journey or, or struggle actually as, um, as a black woman is, is her, is her struggle as a black individual told through the the mutant metaphor as opposed to the as, as opposed to directly about her race because that's sort of a way to tell that story to get it in the minds of people who might not accept it um, because yeah, of no, their no, own I, limitations exactly i see what you're saying but i would say no because once again we're talking about one of the few mutants for whom their powers are mostly something they take solace and pride in so her mutant i did i mean she doesn't even identify per se as a mutant and like she has to be convinced to leave where she's at like she misses being you know in the simpler sort of life of being revered as a god and just being able to help people and yada 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 she has to be convinced to go somewhere and you know like doesn't he describe you know it's not like you won't be seen as a god you'll be seen as a person and you it might be bitter but it also might be sweet so she's not i don't think like in terms of my understanding and like experience with right racial identity struggles it's not like you're coming from a it's a really unique position she's in because she is above all that and so it would have been interesting actually in the comic if she if in entering you know the american society and you know the mutant sort of microcosm of western society or society at large if she would have had to deal with people judging her on the basis of her skin color but you don't see that you know it seems like a non-issue and perhaps it's a non-issue among mutants because they've all faced discrimination in some form but i think it would have made it less of a like she's black and like that's just something you take for granted if there had been i mean not to say like oh you have to write in more oppression for these characters but you know what i mean like i think would have been more representative representative of a certain reality that black people face mm-hmm. michelle i know you had something to add no no, no it just it, it, you guys made me think of something else remember we were talking at the top of the podcast about her being this incredibly popular character and this is this is one of the reasons why is that people resonate to qualities about storm that i would argue have very little to do with her race actually you know that it it has to do with, you know, the questions of leadership versus, you know, individualism, um, you know, these larger than life, life you know, um, ideas, goddesses, all of these things are not necessarily, ident- you know, racial identity, quote unquote, you know, type topics. Does that make any sense? It just doesn't. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's not a neither good nor bad thing. But um, I don't 
I've never, other than her skin color, I've never related to, to Storm as a black woman per se. I feel the same way. That's awesome. You guys all, all answered yeah. my next three questions. Uh, Jake, do you have something to add? Yeah, I, I, I mean, not much. I think everything that uh, you all have been saying has been really interesting and insightful on the character. I do think that a lot of this speaks to patterns in comics and culture generally. This is another example of how popular comics can be highly reductive. Um, And also, I think it's a demonstration of how our society tends to reduce sub-Saharan Africa into one thing. And uh, Michelle, I thought what you were saying before was just a great explanation of that. Like, you can see one thing and you know that's Africa, but that's not actually, that doesn't add anything to the story so this question goes for everyone what is going what would make storm more relatable to you jake do you want to answer first yeah i mean i i think in general i i could just i i guess i'll say that my favorite scenes with storm have come in those contemplative moments one of them is in the issue where she has her duel with callisto and i thought it was really interesting that after this sort of climax in that uh, story arc, the issue continued. I mean, that happens early in the issue. And then it shows Storm later that day thinking, this morning I almost killed somebody. And she's thinking about how she, how her role with the X-Men relates to her desire to maintain a certain set of principles. For me, I could just use more of that. I thought that stuff added depth to her character I obviously can see how she's a a good role model because of her adherence to this set of personal uh, principles. But I think added to that, we need to get more of uh, her dealing with challenges in her mind and maybe not have them be exactly the same as the stuff that she's thought about in the past or not the exact same stuff that other X-Men are thinking about. I mean, some of those ideas that those scenes covered think are very common and that's fine but we just need more you know the writers have a lot of opportunity to develop the character and um i think they should take advantage of that i very much agree and i think you you really got me thinking before when you mentioned her claustrophobia not necessarily being as deep a character flaw as it could be but it's interesting because i think for me that's what makes her relatable to me personally um not that i'm claustrophobic but you know here she's dealing with a lot of anxiety she deals with a lot of um anxiety about being claustrophobic because in the issue when um she doesn't help Jean Grey with a pickpocket, which apparently Jean Grey is Phoenix, but she can't catch a pickpocket by herself. I thought it was interesting too, but you know, she she doesn't go down the subway and it still causes her a great deal of anxiety. And I don't know, I, I guess for me as someone who does have a lot of phobias, as someone who does uh, suffer from anxiety quite a bit, I, I just, I find that to be very relatable. Michelle? I think for me, uh, and maybe it's because I'm a little bit mentally obsessed with, with politics at the moment from watching the news quite a bit. But I, 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 for me, I love, I love all of those beats that we talked about in her origin story. And one of the things I would like to see that I think for me would make her more relatable is to sort of take all of those notes and maybe contemporize it a little bit into, because there's so much about Storm that for some reason or other for me parallels all, everything we're talking about today, whether it's climate change and her, her, her innate ability to, to speak to that, you know, where she's actually from and that part of the world. I mean, there's so much there that's incredibly rich and exciting. I think there's an opportunity. I would love for the, for the writers to go back 
and revisit Storm as as hero in place of Trump, for example. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And really addressing some of these these big issues. You know, who better than 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 this fabulous goddess? So it, I, I'd like to see something like that. See what she do with it. So. Gabby, how about you? What would it take for Marvel to make Storm relatable to you? I'd have to really agree with Michelle that I would love to see the points in her backstory um, fleshed out and specified and and made to to have a true influence on who the character of Storm is in like a substantive way. But aside from parroting Michelle's wonderful point, I think that, you know, it's interesting when we talk about Jean Grey as sort of like maybe in some ways like a dark mirror of storm you know like this woman who has this incredible power that she's struggling to deal with Jean Grey fans are hating us right now even though I love her too <laughs> no 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 yeah. I mean not dark mirror as in like she's the evil no storm, I know what you're, you know what I, I mean like yeah, right. as in like they have similar sort of things that they're going through and one thing that makes Jean Grey so captivating and compelling is her like very human flaws and I think that going back to the idea of her claustrophobia and this and that like i think it would be nice to see storm mess up in a way that we can all relate to because even when she loses control there's no faulting her for that you know there's no saying like oh wow like you really i think it would be interesting to see her you know not to change her character fundamentally but to see her just ever so slightly more fallible or ever so slightly more vulnerable or ever ever so slightly more sensitive and i think that that might i mean maybe i'm just hypersensitive which is also true so maybe that's just what i want to see but i think that yeah that might just and yeah i think that might make her a bit more relatable to me right personally i think we're actually all in kind of utter agreement about that that we want to see more of her backstory more of how she became this goddess and more of how that informs her who she is both now and you know throughout her journey into becoming an X-Men. And, and um, can I also say part of American culture? Because she, she yes. does very much adopt American culture mm-hmm. you know, now. I mean, I, I think the Mohawk, especially now, it seems sort of like a, a much more of a fashion statement than it did when she originally did it, which was more of an expression of her angst, if I can say that. And yeah, so I, I just think that's interesting. But, I, you know, we have to move on to the, the final thing we're going to discuss, which is, you know, Storm and other types of media, because... Uh, <laughs> Gabby, you mentioned before about certain actresses uh, being probably cast for Storm because of uh, their looks. Um, I've said well, I want to I want to amend that because sure. I I mean I think Halle Berry is a really good actor actually, yeah. and I think that she is you know. I, I think she's done a lot, you know, really for black actresses and I would never, you know, oh, badmouth her or anything like that. But I, but yeah, so just wanted to no, just I just add say, that caveat. I loved Halle Berry in Monsters <laughs> no, Ball, which is one important. of my favorite movies, which is one of my, Monsters Ball is one of my favorite movies and I loved Halle Berry in it. Yeah. So I just wanted to add that. So, you know, really quick, Michelle, does Halle Berry do a good job of embodying Storm? Why or why not? So again, you know, absolutely good point. You know, Halle Berry is is a very talented actress. But when I think of her, and and you guys are are, are far more involved in the acting world than I, when I think of her her type, or I think of, of of casting her, if I were making those casting decisions, I've always thought of her as more of an ingenue. I've always thought of her as more. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I I I just it has nothing against Halle whatsoever. But her energy has never um rela- fed fed itself to me as Mar- Margaret Thatcher or you know right. a. a, a the general of a, of, a, of an army, and and um, you know it's 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 much more I don't know Cleopatra on the Nile, you know right. eating olives and you know floating floating down, you know. So I think that's 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 what it is. And so when they make these decisions, the thing about Storm is you know people have to be able to trust their 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 lives in in their hands, in her hands rather, right? She's she's team leader. 
And, and realistically, you know, things could go wrong, horribly wrong. And so you really, I would argue, would need, you know, uh, I, I would love to have seen an actress that, that can step into that sort of leadership role, frankly, effectively. Yeah, I think you put it really, really well. And it's almost as if Halle Berry in her energy and like her bearing has too has too much of what we're missing from Storm. You know, she is so sent like that's why she's so beautiful to watch on screen is Mm -hmm. because she is so sensitive and emotionally transparent and vulnerable. And these are three words we wouldn't really very readily use to describe Storm. And I think we also need the type of actor that you can believe like would be mistaken for an otherworldly being like have something so distant and like powerful about them that uh you know the passerby in this place could be like that's a god you know like (laughs) and i just don't i just don't know if halle berry has that energy about her and i'm not Mm -hmm. really sure from what i saw in the movies that she necessarily hit that super effectively i will say my favorite moment in all the x-men movies is with Storm and Halle Berry in the first X-Men movie and it's um, and actually she does bring a lot of that vulnerability to the table and it's when uh, the senator is transformed into a mutant by Magneto even though he's very uh, mutant phobic if you will and he doesn't want to die alone because he's dying from this transportation and Storm is the only one there he's like is anybody there and she says I'm here and he says something to the effect of and I'm paraphrasing he says do you hate normal people and she says sometimes and he says why and she says because I'm afraid of them. And I just thought that was actually like a beautiful moment from a summer blockbuster from a superhero movie that we didn't know would start off this whole sort of superhero thing. But that being said, I always saw her, did I already say this, as someone like Angela Bassett playing her if it was, you know, back in the 2000s or Michonne from The Walking Dead. I can't pronounce her name. Gabby, how do you pronounce her name? Denai Guerrera. Denai, Denai Guerrera? Yeah. Guerrera. Yeah. Guerrera. Yeah. I, I think she, I could totally see her uh, playing Storm. Jake, do you have anything to add about this? Well, I think those are all good points. One issue is that in the movie, the character is also put in the background. She's not the team leader of the film version of the X-Men. There are about three or four other characters who are presented as the leaders. I mean, you have Cyclops. He's sort of the team captain. Wolverine is the main character of those movies. Professor X is very prominent. And I would say uh, Jean Grey in the first two movies is more of a leader figure. So that's in addition to recognizing problem, well, potential problems in the casting. That's also an observation of potential issues and how they've constructed the film version of the team. And we know that Alexandra Ship has been cast as Storm for the upcoming X-Men Apocalypse. And yeah, I, I'm I'm curious to see what they do with the character and how she does with the role. I think she's an excellent actress as well. We're going to have to skip. And really quick, I know, Jake, that you were a fan of the X-Men animated series growing up. Do you have anything to say about Storm's character in that animated show? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to say because I don't think I've watched the show in probably 20 years. Right. But I did really like the character uh, growing up, I thought she was a really powerful character, and I think in th- in that series, from what I remember, she was really depicted as a strong leader for the team, even yeah. if she wasn't really the captain. Absolutely. Yeah, I very much agree. And the last question I want to talk about is only because I forgot to mention earlier, but Marvel outright said that they put Black Panther and Storm together to get more black readers of comics interested in those particular comic books yes or no was that successful 
Well, I'd be curious to. S- I'm sure they have data on this studies. Yeah. You know, but was but it was it successful? To me, that's that's kind of a lame thing to do. You're trying right. to the company is trying to attract more black readers, so they take two of the most prominent black characters and put them together. To me, that demonstrates a, a lack of creativity. Here are two characters that have a ton of potential and you could develop much stronger stories surrounding them either of them could have had great books uh, developed by top tier creative teams i mean you don't have to it's just like it's not that simple i don't think and i don't think marvel really thought it through if that was their goal and the solution was let's take these two black characters and put them together I actually have so many problems with the way Marvel and DC are trying to implement more diversity in their comics. I applaud that it's something that they're concerned with and try, but I just find it so contrived as compared to when we did the New Mutants podcast um, a week or so ago, Gabby, and we talked about how, or at least I, I talked about, I'm not sure actually if you agree with this, that if the New Mutants came out today, it would be the most diverse comic, and if it was a television show, it would be the most diverse show on television. You have a Native American female leader of the group. 80 to 85% of the group are, are, are female. You have characters from all over the world with characters from places that America has had antagonistic relationships with previously before and i think that um that is unfortunately much much more successful than what they attempted to do with uh black panther and storm michelle just uh, tagging on to what you were saying, I think that, you know, the thing that I love about comics, and I would argue we all love about comics, are everyone loves the stories and the intricacies and the time that people take and the time that's taken to think things through and follow everything along. And when you, we've been making this point throughout the podcast, when you when you sort of abdicate that sort of uh, opportunity to sort of, you know, fall back on these sort of simplistic ideas, you know, enter the zebra or, you know, are these sort of monolithic, you know, um, statements about what we think black people want, or if we just throw a whole bunch of black people here naturally all black people will follow because that's how it works do you know what I mean it's like it's not it's not comic books you know what I mean if you go back to foundations and you say okay let me take for for example your Native American character or whatever it is whatever quote-unquote ethnic group they fall into what comic book fans love about these characters are their backstories how they come into who they are as as superheroes and the challenges that they're facing ir- irrespective of i mean certainly those things are influenced by and co- i mean that's part of the story you know that's why we're in japan or that's why we're in antarctica that's why we're in these different places and i would argue that african american fans african fans all fans of color of all hues around the world love to see themselves in stories and they love to see themselves three dimensional fleshed out in all types of environments doing all types of things so I absolutely agree with the point that was made earlier that it is it absolutely lacks creativity and I'm shocked Marvel absolutely shocked <laughs> you know what I mean expect a great few more from you, you know? <laughs> no I feel the very, very much the same way um, Ms. Marvel is a, a wonderful example of how it came about organically recently for uh, those readers who are reading that comic um, I bought it for my niece and she absolutely loves it but that, be, oh, and sorry. that's an example of a comic that's just really good right, right. well executed comic Right. Gabby, do you have anything to add? Nope. I'm in total agreement. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> now that we're all in total agreement, it's an excellent time. And both a sad time because I'm enjoying myself. But we have to end this podcast. Jake has 100 pages of notes to take for a law school exam tomorrow. Woo! Um, which I am just, I feel the anxiety for you. Um, oh my goodness. Thank you for spending time with us. I know, right? <laughs> Joe and Ma- for Mary. I'll let you know how the test goes. <laughs> no, please do. You're going to like hate me after tomorrow. Even if you do well, you're going to be like, fuck, I should have been studying. Ma- Marius, thank you so much for joining us. I know you had to go because it was very late in Germany. Joe, thanks so much for 
starting to have this conversation with us. Michelle, it was so nice to see you. And I hope oh. you do many, 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 many more podcasts Michelle, with us. Michelle, you're awesome. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you guys are awesome. This is so much fun. I honestly, I never get to talk to real people who have real opinions. I mean, you know, <laughs> clients don't count. Clients don't count. No, I love it's you guys. So love my clients, but you know. Yay, Michelle. This is pure pleasure. I really Yay. love it. Yeah, right. It was and so lovely to meet you. Well, so I really enjoyed meeting you guys. Aw. And um, yeah, and Jake, seriously, thanks so much for that, um, for giving your time. Yeah. You know, when you have all this stuff going on. And Gabby, of course, Ms. Beans, Ms. Bird, Dr. Gabrielle Doctor. Bird Beans. Dr. Um, Gabrielle Beans. <laughs> is my name i added the bird in there because i started calling your bird i don't know why uh, based off a family guy joke um yeah that does it for this episode of the comics first podcast anyway so again that brings me to the social media part that i always have to say um but i hate to say but it's important to say that you can find us on the web at comicsfirst.com on facebook at facebook.com slash comics first on twitter at, at comics first on tumblr at comicsfirst.tumblr.com and on youtube at youtube.com slash comics first tv again do look out for our new revamped videos premiering soon on youtube YouTube and on comicsfirst.com. Check out our footage of New York Comic Con 2015. And if you enjoy this podcast here, I am begging you, please, please, please show us some love. Leave us a comment. Tweet us at, at comicsfirst. Email us at info at comicsfirst.com. For a list of the comics we read today on Storm, check out the page for this podcast episode on comicsfirst.com. Um, I'm going to ask Gabby to do like a little write-up about her experience today, if she doesn't mind. And I don't mind. Awesome. Which is so sweet of her. And although my amazing co-host, uh, Marvel assistant editor Kathy, is on vacation, someone's gotta do the send-off and i task that to gabby and do you have a comics first send-off for us in the the tradition of kathleen wasneski oh gosh what what do you want me to do <laughs> um it's just like a one sentence like okay all right we had a maelstrom of feelings about storm that's it that was like a high that's horrible <laughs> oh no that was so bad someone else should do it just no no, no it was um, a maelstrom <laughs> <laughs> That's even worse, Jake. <laughs> oh, I'm so bad. I'm sorry, Justin. Edit um, this part out. No, that was good. That was good. Remember, we're keeping that. Okay, and then, okay, let's, let, let, I'll check on something too. Okay. Um, the weather may always be changing, but storm... Unfortunately, is always the same. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Um, no, I was hoping to leave something more positive than that. But yeah, oh, anyway, okay. um, thank you guys so much for being here. And thank you, everybody, for Woo. listening. And yeah, be sure to check out more of our podcasts. And thank you. 